One more time. Merry Christmas. That's what I'm talking about. Hey, on behalf of my wife, Stacy and the rest of our team, we are so thankful to have you join us uh, for Christmas Eve today. My name is Colin. I serve as the lead pastor here at Nona. And I absolutely love Christmas because uh, it is such a strong reminder of the things that really inspire me and my family and so many people in our community, the light of the world, Jesus that has entered into our stories. And one of the things that I love about Christmas, and maybe you would agree with me here, is that Christmas Christmas is marked by some of the best music that we have in our culture. Christmas carols and Christmas music, uh, it's just amazing. And at the end of our time today, we're going to uh, participate in a tradition that's been a part of the church uh, for centuries, where we're going to light some candles and we're going to sing some songs that remind us of the beauty of this very night and of Christmas Day, that which we celebrate. But I've got to be honest with you, as I've kind of spent time with people, what I've noticed is that there really is two types of folks when it comes to Christmas music. So I need your help here. There are some of us who believe that Christmas music is meant to be sung year-round. It's not just for the holiday season, but it could be sung in the middle of July if we want it to be the case. We are all about Christmas music all of the time. And if that's you, just be proud about it. Would you go ahead and raise your hand, raise your hand if that's you? Okay, okay. And then there's another group of people that say, you know what, I do not believe in that at all. The moment that Christmas is over, the Christmas music needs to stop. Don't hit me with jingle bells again until the following year. It's got to be after Thanksgiving. If that's you, go ahead and raise your hand if that's you as well, all right? We know where all the Grinches are, all right? We just saw them right there, right there. Okay, good, 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 good. Yeah, Christmas music. We all love Christmas music. And I might assume that we all have a favorite Christmas song. Like, it's not Christmas until you've heard that song. So here's what I want you to do very quickly, maybe with the person who came with or the person who's sitting next to you. Would you just turn to the person around you and share with them what your favorite Christmas song is? Ready, set, go. Go ahead and do that. If you're online, participate as well at home. What's your favorite Christmas song? All right, all right, all right. Now, if I recall, I said share what your favorite Christmas song is, not sing your favorite Christmas song. It shouldn't have taken uh, that long. Yeah, we all have, we all have a Christmas song uh, that is our favorite. And one of the songs that is my favorite, we're going to sing later on today in our service. It is the song known as Silent Night. Anybody a Silent Night fan uh, in the room, right? Yeah, you know Silent Night. You don't even need to hear the words. You hear like that simple melody begin to play and you know that Silent Night is about to happen. What I love about the song Silent Night is its origin story. It's interesting. Where do we get this Christmas carol? Uh, well, it goes back to 1816. Uh, there's a young pastor uh, in the city of uh, a small town and village in the country of Austria. Uh, and he was in the midst of a crisis. It was Christmas Eve, and he had shown up to his small parish church to find out that the organ that they play all of their Christmas music on had been destroyed in a flood. And this began to make him incredibly nervous. He was anxious. How are we going to celebrate Christmas without an organ to play all of the songs that we know and hold dear to our heart? So he began to, to get a bit worried, wondering, what should I do? He goes out on a walk, and in the midst of this walk, uh, he begins to get the lyrics to this, this song. We call it Silent Night, but its original name was Stila Noct. And he, he begins to find these words and these lyrics. 
He quickly runs over to his friend, who happens to be the choir director, a man by the name of Franz Gruber, and he sits down with Franz, and they, on Christmas Eve, begin to pick out on a guitar what this song is going to be. And the plan is that this song, Stille Nacht, would just be sung for this particular Christmas Eve in these particular circumstances for this particular moment. They never had a vision of it becoming what it is today. But a small singing family, think like the Von Trapps, like a small singing family, they heard this song and they began to sing it whenever they would travel. And this song, Stille Nacht, it became, it became a huge part of Austrian and German culture. And eventually, all of Europe was singing a version of this song, Stille Nacht, or Silent Night. Now, fast forward almost 100 years. The year is 1914. 1914, and it is a bitter, cold, wet Christmas Eve night in the midst of World War I. Bitter cold and wet, just like Christmas Eve of 2022 in Orlando, Florida. That's exactly what it was like. And young teenage boys are exchanging gunfire on the Western Front of World War I. It is a desolate and sad and broken time as these young men find themselves in trenches trying their best to survive. Well, Christmas Eve rolls around and the sun begins to dip below the horizon and as men are beginning to try to retire for their night and take their posts in anticipation of this ongoing war, uh, the story goes that a, a German tenor who was a part of the Berlin Opera who had been sent to the front lines began to sing Stille Nacht in his trench. And as his voice pierced through the darkness, other men on the German side began to sing Stille Nacht. And they sung it so loudly that across no man's land where the British were found, they could hear it as well. And so they began to sing Silent Night. And if you could imagine, on a cold, bitter, dark Christmas Eve, as people are spending their lives trying to keep their lives, this song, Silent Night, begins to emanate into the night sky. History tells us that as this story begins to unfold, a German soldier, a group of German soldiers, they yell out across to the men on the British side, and they say, would you come and meet us halfway? Now, they're in the middle of war, so you could imagine that this invitation does not feel like a safe or good invitation. And so both sides begin to negotiate, and the story goes that basically they both say this, I will come halfway if you come halfway. In other words, I'll meet you in the middle of no man's land. And it makes sense, doesn't it? In the midst of war and opposition and challenge, that these men would not trust one another with even the most sacred moment like a Christmas Eve. But eventually, as the night begins to wear on, a group of British soldiers, they, they slowly walk across no man's land, this very place where men often lost their lives. And some German soldiers, they got out of their trenches and they crossed no man's land as well. And they met in the middle. And they extended their hands and decided that they would have a truce on Christmas of 1914. The next morning on the Western Front was not met with guns being drawn or bullets piercing the, the air. But instead, men slowly crawling out of their trenches. They began to meet the opposition. 
In fact, one British soldier writes in his journal that he was smoking a British pipe, but it was filled with tobacco given to him by a German officer. And they gathered all of their rations together, and they had a Christmas meal together. And in fact, they even played soccer. And the British to this day claim that they won that game one to nil. A Christmas truce. And the story's amazing to me. It's amazing to think that this little song, Silent Night, that we're going to sing in just a couple of minutes, would last for a hundred years, find itself on the western front of World War I, and that men who were at war with one another for a moment would find peace in the midst of war. In fact, historians tell us that because of that moment, the, those men were unwilling to go back to war with one another, and they had to be moved to different places because the relationship that they had built on that day made it too hard for them to continue to fight. Peace. Peace. Are you, are you looking for a little bit of peace in your life? I know that I am. I know that in the midst of the year that we've had, all of the ways in which people have been uh, against one another, all of the opposition that we've experienced, not just in our culture, but even in our relationships, or perhaps even in our personal lives. I know that for many of us, that longing for peace, man, it is something that we are looking for. But where does peace come from? You know, one of the things that I find most interesting about this story is not so much the fact that they had a truce for a day, but it's this phrase that the soldiers said to one another that, that makes sense when you're in the midst of a time where war seems imminent. This phrase, if you come halfway, I'll come halfway. If you come halfway, I'll come halfway. Let's meet in the middle. But what I find so interesting about the Christmas story is that the Christmas story is not about a God who says, if you come halfway, I'll come halfway. But the Christmas story is this grand announcement to all of human history that the God of the universe doesn't meet us halfway, but he comes all the way into our trench, all the way into our story, all the way into our pain, all the way into our hearts. That God is not a God who's expecting you to get dressed up or to act a certain way or to follow a set of rules for him to love you or to care for you, but that God the creator of the universe sees us in our trench of brokenness and despair, perhaps even in opposition to him, and he doesn't say, I'll meet you halfway. He says, I will go to where you are because I love you that much. That is the story of Christmas. It's God himself coming in the form of a human being, a baby born in a manger to remind us that he's willing to cross no man's land for every single one of us. John, John, who was Jesus' best friend, uh, John, who knew Jesus closely, was a historical figure who watched Jesus' life, would at the end of his life write a biography, a narrative about the life of Jesus. And when he had to summarize in his mind who Jesus really was, was he a good teacher? Was he a good man? Who was this guy really? Would put it this way in John chapter 1, verse 14. He would say, so the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen the glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. I mean, this is the beauty of the Christmas story and the invitation of following Jesus, is that God is not a God who's far away or distant or disinterested in your life, but he's a God who comes to make his home among us. 
He wants to walk with us and have us experience him every single day. This is not dead religion. It is an invitation into a life-giving relationship with the creator of the universe. Paul. Paul, this guy who actually hated Christians, in the first century he oversaw the murder of countless Christians. Had this kind of come-to-Jesus moment in his own personal life. Abandoned everything that he knew to follow Jesus and start churches throughout the first century in the Mediterranean Rim would write to one church, the church in Galatia. And when he was thinking about what it meant for this baby to be born in a manger, put it this way. He said, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman subject to the law. And God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to that law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you as his heir. Man, I don't know what kind of religious upbringing that you've had or what story you've believed about the the Christian narrative, but that's the heart of it. That God is willing to go anywhere, do anything, and sacrifice whatever needs to be sacrificed to bring peace to your life. He's willing to go across the, the reality of no man's land, cross any boundary to enter into your trench, to enter into your pain, to enter into your personal war and bring peace in that very place. Christmas is an announcement that peace has come to all of us. The Christmas story is God's choice to step fully into our world, regardless of how risky, vulnerable, and costly it might be for him. It's why in Luke chapter 2, when the angels announce that that Jesus has arrived, that this baby has been born in a manger, Luke chapter 2, you might know it from the Bible or you might know it from the Charlie Brown Christmas special, says this, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Would you guys say that word, peace with me on the count of three? One, two, three, Peace. One more time. One, two, three. Peace. 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 Peace to those on whom his favor rests. Christmas is an invasion of peace into the trenches of our despair, brokenness, worry, and concern because God himself has met us And he's come all the way. Cheap dead religion says you've got to come halfway. You've got to check the boxes. You've got to do the right things. You've got to pass the test. But the gospel of Jesus in the Christmas story is it's not about you coming halfway because God goes all the way on your behalf. What I find so inspiring about this story is not just that that Jesus came and came into our lives to bring us peace. But it's how God chose to came, how he chose to come as well. I mean, isn't it interesting? The God of the universe could come in any way to announce that he's come to bring peace. He could have come with fanfare and announcement. He could have come riding in with a chariot. He could have come come, come to us with great power and strength. But instead, Jesus comes in the most vulnerable way possible. A baby in a manger. Because God doesn't come as somebody who's trying to overtake your life, but he comes with unconditional love, wanting to walk with you through it. What I find so interesting about babies is they're cute, but can we just agree that babies are incredibly fragile? 
Like, they are vulnerable, aren't they? And they're, they're not as vulnerable as, like, first-time parents make them out to be. But have you ever been around a first-time parent who's just had a child? Like, they won't let anybody hold this child. Any little noise that the baby makes, they're always running over to the kid. I remember that that's how it was with me and Stace, with our oldest. When our first child was born, we, we wouldn't leave that crib. We had, a, we had one of those little nanny radios with us at all times. We were always paying attention. And any little bump or any little bruise or any little fall, we were freaking out. Should we take her to the hospital? Can I tell you after baby number one, number two, number three, and number four, when we hear a crash or a break or a cry, our first response is not what happened and do they need to go to the hospital. Our first response is, ah, I think they'll be okay. Like anybody there with me? But here's Jesus. Like think about this for a minute. The savior of the world, the creator of the universe, God himself, comes in the vulnerable, fragile place as a baby. A baby whose eyes surely pierce that night sky with love, but a baby nonetheless. A baby who could not speak, but would one day speak words of freedom and life. A baby who could not walk, but would one day walk on water, inspiring faith and a group of disciples that would take this message to the world. A baby, a baby who, who could not carry himself, but literally would have to be carried by his mother and father, but would one day carry a cross on our behalf, taking all of our sin, our shame, and our guilt on his shoulders and declare once and for all, it is finished, Father, forgive them. A baby, a baby who could not raise his own head, but would one day rise from death three days after being in a tomb, defeating Satan's sin and death on our behalf, punctuating in that moment in the resurrection that love is here to stay, that grace is here to stay, and there's nothing you've done, there's nothing you can do, and there's no regret you can carry that would separate you from the love of God. How many of us are thankful for that kind of Jesus today, that kind of Savior, that kind of King? And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. What we celebrate at Christmas is that there is a God who loves us unconditionally and completely and fully. But he doesn't expect us to get ourselves put together, have the answers right, or have our life all put in a place that makes sense. He's not a God that says, hey, if you come halfway, I'll meet you halfway. But he's a God who literally would leave heaven and come as a baby in a manger, as a forever reminder to all of us that God is for you, that he is with you, and that he's near. You see, if we were to take an inventory of our lives, we would all agree that there's a place where we feel a sense of war raging in us. For some of us, that, that war is, is an interpersonal relationship that even to this day, we struggle to forgive. Or when we're around that person, we don't feel peace, but we feel, we feel anger. And Jesus wants to enter into that relationship and bring peace to it. For others of us, it's the fact that the war that we have, it doesn't rage with others. It, it rages inside of us. That we come to the end of this year and we wonder, why haven't I gotten further along? 
Or why haven't I been able to overcome that thing? Or why is it that I still might find myself wrapped by anxiety, struggling to, to find peace? And Christmas is a reminder that God actually wants to step into the place that you internally feel like you're at war and bring peace to that very place as well. And if we're honest, in a room this size and with those that are watching online, there's some of us, if we're honest, the, the struggle that we have is, is with God. But just so you know, God's not at war with you. He's not in opposition to you. But many of us, because of our own choices or decisions, find ourselves in opposition to him. And if we're honest, we, we kind of feel angry at God right now. Because he hasn't answered that prayer the way we thought he would. He hasn't met our need the way that we expected. And even in those situations, God doesn't say, hey, when you stop being angry at me, that's when I'll step into your life. But even in the midst of your anger or disappointment, God says, I want to be with you even there. Because I'm not a halfway God. I'm an all-the-way God that steps into the bitter, broken, cold parts of the trenches of your life and wants to bring hope and healing and grace even there. So Romans chapter 5 lays out this kind of beautiful picture for us. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Christmas is a forever reminder that God is for you. He's not distant and he's not far, but he's near. And he doesn't invite you to come halfway he goes all the way on your behalf. You see that peace, that truce that those young men experienced on Christmas Day of 1914, it was a foretaste. It was a small taste of what happened on that stille Nacht, on that first night when Christ entered into the story. Because what God has invited all of us into is a forever kind of peace that comes regardless of our circumstance, regardless of our pain, but actually comes despite that. Because it's not up to you to find peace or to fight for it. It's simply up to you to invite him into your story. So with that in mind, I'm going to invite everybody in this room to stand. Because I know in the busyness and in the hustle and bustle of the season, presents to be wrapped parties to be hosted, travel to commence, we can lose sight of what transpired 2,000 years ago when God came all the way out of unconditional love and forever compassion. So if you're comfortable, I'm going to invite you to close your eyes because I want to give you a moment just for you. I want to invite you to take an inventory of your life. This might be the last time in this Christmas season that you even have a moment of silence to reflect on the historicity of this moment and the power of what Christmas is all about. That God himself came to meet us as our Savior to bring to us forever peace. A peace that passes all understanding. So in a moment, I'm going to pray for those of us that are in the room, for those of you that are watching online. But I'm going to invite you to do something that's not for me, it's for you. I'm going to invite you, as I'm sharing potential responses, for you to open your hand 
when I arrive at the question or the kind of peace that you need. And as you open your hand, would, you, would it just be a sign between you and your Heavenly Father saying, God, I receive the gift of your peace in place of the war that rages inside of me. So for some of us tonight, the invitation is to receive God's peace in the place of the relational war that rages on. Like there's a friendship, there's a relationship, there's a a family dynamic. And it's just hard to forgive. It's hard to release them. Gosh, it's even hard to see them. And Christmas is for you. It's an invitation into peace. If that's you today, it could even be a co-working relationship. Would you open your hand now and know that God gives you the gift of peace? For others of us, it's not about a relationship with someone else. It's... (laughs) It's inside of us. We find ourselves racked by guilt, maybe even self-loathing or anger because we can't get over that thing. We can't seem to win that battle. Gosh, we, we carry shame and guilt from a decision that we made. And God wants to remind you this Christmas that there's no thing that you have done no regret that you hold, no decision that you have made that is greater than his grace and forgiveness over you. He calls you his beloved. He wants to enter into the trenches of your pain and bring healing there. So if what you find is that your heart is in a place where it's a war raging on the inside, would you open your hand now and receive the gift of peace that comes this Christmas. For others of us, it's this kind of unspoken war that we have with God. God, you didn't answer that prayer. God, I'm confused by something that you've done or allowed to happen. I felt distant from you, disappointed in you. And I want you to know that if that's where you find yourself today, God doesn't meet you with any kind of anger but he meets you with grace and peace because of his beloved son, Jesus, who knows what you're walking through, who's able to sympathize with your pain. It says, even in the midst of your anger and frustration with me, I want you to know that I want to be with you there too. So if you find yourself in that place with God today, feel free to open your hand as well and know that God's peace is for you too. And would you pray with me, Father? God, we know that there are so many stories in this room. God, some people that, if they're honest, are here because it's a family tradition and because they don't want to create drama at the house. I pray that you would speak a gentle word of peace to them and let them know that you want to be with them. God, for those that are dealing with shame and guilt and regret over choices in their life, and God, there's a war that ranges on inside. Would you remind them that this Christmas is a forever reminder of that Christmas where peace entered into our stories and offers forgiveness and wholeness. And God, for those of us struggling with relational dynamics, 
wondering if it's possible to forgive, wondering if it's possible to move on, would you remind us that Christmas is a forever reminder that you come all the way into our stories. There's no stone you leave unturned. There's no pain that's too great, no hurt that's too significant, no regret that's too large that you wouldn't look at and say, my grace and my forgiveness is for you. So God, we trust you when we believe you, that you can bring silence when our heart screams, that you can bring hope when our heart is in despair, and that, Father, you'll bring peace when our mind is racing, because you're the God of peace. These are the things we pray today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.